All right, welcome to the show. Before our conversation with Sarah Bessie, I wanted to give you guys a very unique opportunity. I'm here with Gret Glyer of DonorSeed.com, and we have a chance to really add some goodness to this world and do it very simply and for very little. Gret, you guys somehow connect with needs around the world, very, very specific needs. It's almost like a bunch of GoFundMes on your website, and people can help fund these specific needs, get updates on how things are going. I want to be a part of this shit, man, and I'm sure <laughs> many of our listeners do too. So, Gret Camus, she, where, where, what country is she in? She's in Sudan. Okay, and so she's a, she's a housewife, mother of six, expecting her seventh, but the delivery of her seventh is expected to be very dangerous. And you're telling me that we can knock this out by a measly two hundred fifty-three dollars that would go to her C-section. Yeah, that's exactly right. So essentially, she is in a situation where she's about to have a child, she needs a C-section, and she's living in a situation where she probably earns about a dollar a day. So the cost of her surgery is $253. Sounds like not much to us, but that's, you know, three or four, three quarters of her uh, yearly earnings. So this is a big deal for her. So for what seems small to us is a really big deal for her. And if she gets this, then her surgery is paid for and her unborn child um, has a obviously a much higher chance of survival, a nearly 100% chance of survival at that point. Wow. All right. So a few questions for, for me and our listeners, honestly, is how, how do you connect with these people? Like, how, how'd you find her? Right. So what we do as a platform, we're a charity platform and we connect with other 501c3 uh, vetted charities around the world. So in the instance of Camus, who we're discussing, this mother who needs a C-section, um, we partner with a guy named Dr. Tom who runs a hospital out in Sudan. And he is like a modern day Mother Teresa. He's an incredible guy. He's given his, he's given his life over to just helping these people in this extremely remote part of Sudan in the Nuba Mountains, uh, which is a war-torn region. And every day he works on um, just really drastic situations just like Camus. Yeah. Okay. So I have listeners, hear me out. We're talking to you right now, listeners. Hear me out. I have no aim to make anyone feel guilty. That's stupid. So that's not the purpose of the question. The purpose of this question is because I really am curious, Gret, if if we don't tackle this, you mean to tell me no one's going to cough up $253 for, for them to be able to have this surgery? Is donor C or bust here? <laughs> <laughs> that is the nature of most of the projects on our platform is Gosh. we work with the poorest people in the world on the worst day of their lives. So we look for the people who are in the most vulnerable situation and we bring their stories to light. So if you look at the majority of our projects, a lot of them are kind of donor C or bust. And, you know, there are situations wow. where someone kind of comes in at the last minute and provides the $253, but we're talking about people, we're talking about missionaries and humanitarian aid workers who they see needs like this on a daily basis. And yeah, they could provide for this one, but then that kicks the can down the road to the next one. So um, it really is kind of a, no matter what happens, $253 is a life or death amount that will impact someone's life for sure. Yeah. So how, how, how do you get the money to her? Like once the money is raised? Right. So the donations go to the 501c3 charity that we partner with. So in this case, that's Dr. Tom's hospital. And that money goes into his, usually the way it works, I mean, usually the way it works is it goes into his US bank account. And then they have another bank account out in Sudan. And so they just 
take the funds from the Sudanese bank account and then um, it levels out with the American bank account. That's usually yeah, how I, they do it. Yeah, out of curiosity, once the funds are are met and they receive this aid, are they aware that it was collected through DonorSea or, or some sort of organization like you? Yeah, one of the things that we try really hard to do is we're trying to invent a new type of charity where you feel a stronger connection between the donor and the recipient. So the recipient gets to know not only that Donor C was a part of this, but they get to know the individual names of the people who donated. And we do that because we want uh, them to be able to express their appreciation back to you. So anytime you give on Donor C, you get a video update on every single donation. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Dude, this has actually always been my dream to not only have a podcast, but a podcast that's a community of people. And we kind of are covering that. There's more developments there, but a community of people that are able to kind of come together and do stuff. So I, I'm telling you and our listeners, I will use our, we don't get a lot. I'll tell you this, it, it will be almost a whole month's worth, but we will use a whole month's worth of patron money or my personal money. But I actually want to do this monthly. So I am asking for our listeners, man, this is like, I always think of it this way. All of us want to do good. And if we don't have opportunities that are easy, sometimes we just don't. (laughs) We just don't. So man, what cool thing would it be if listening to Pastor With No Answers also made a very easy way for people to be able to pull together? And I'm telling you, I I mean, if all of our listeners gave $5, we'd be able to knock out hundreds of projects. So I guess I would encourage if you're listening to this right now, go to donorc.com forward slash PWNA helps. And that will be in the show notes and literally give, I mean, even a dollar. Do y'all collect donations as small as a dollar? We do. And you'll get a video update just in a dollar. Good gosh. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. I'm crossing my fingers because like I said, I want to do this every single month. That would be so rad. I love it. Update, update. I sent this link out informing some of my listenership on Pastor With No Answers discussion page about Miss Camus' need. And oh yeah, the surgery's paid for. Yes, sir. We paid for it. Our listenership has given me a good old-fashioned hell yeah that we want to do this sort of thing. So I'm pretty excited, very optimistic. You can tell I'm excited. I want to do something like this monthly. But I tell you what, next episode that drops next week we'll have another little project for us to figure out together. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, email me at joeysvinsonbc at gmail.com if you want more information on some community community developments, just some interaction between amongst our listeners doing some good in this world and uh, getting to know each other. Some cool things developing. I love you guys. So happy about Miss Camus. Peace. All right, everybody. Everybody, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor with No Answers. Hey, I have people that reach out to me and they ask, man, we're starting a podcast. And what kind of recommendations do you have? Well, here you go. Only book guest that you are actually super, super excited about. There you go. That is the the one recommendation. Like I have been looking forward to this conversation with Sarah for a good while. And Trisha roped you into this thing because I enjoy talking to you. It's good having you as a co-host as well. Sarah, we actually scheduled this a good ways back and then all COVID-19 struck and you were on mommy duty. How did, the, how did all that go? How was the 
age of your children. You have four, right? Yes, yes, we do. I've actually been looking for you guys have been incredibly patient. Oh my goodness. As we've oh, had to yeah. schedule and reschedule and everything else. But yeah, so we've got four that are between um, kindergarten and high school. And yeah. so when COVID hit and everybody came home, it was just like, you know what? I don't know if I can record and you know, even my own name right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. Very sm- that is quite that is quite a spread. Uh, kindergarten all the way to high school. We we my wife and I we decided to just boom 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 get it all out of the way. <laughs> so our oldest is thirteen and our youngest is eight. And Trisha and I were yeah. just talking about kids we, as well. We have all teens also. So thirteen to eighteen, four of them. It's crazy town. It is. I, you know, we had our first three and four years and mm. we, you know, and then we had one little surprise baby. So now I'm like the old mom everywhere I go. It's like, yeah, I go to, now I'm at kindergarten, you know, and I'm like the seasoned weathered mother. Oh. <laughs> All the precious little young ones are like, is this what it's going to be like? It's, right. <laughs> it's so crazy. I will literally be out in public and I'll look over and I'll, I'll be like, oh, look at the cute little group of high schoolers. And then I realize they're all probably almost finished with college. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just insane. Yes. I'm like, oh my yes. gosh, how did this happen? How did this happen? Sarah, I know I don't want to um, trigger anything, but I, I do feel like it's 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 just the type of person I am. I I, I want to. I know it's uh, it's been a little while, but I've I've lost a close friend as well, and I know that you never get over a loss. So I, I do want to offer condolences. Um, losing Rachel that mm-hmm. is tough, devastating for a lot of us, mm-hmm. but I think mostly for people that were up close and personal and, and really good friends. So mm-hmm. I am sorry about your loss. Thank you. That's incredibly kind. I would say so, with that too, Sarah, I have watched you really honor her beautifully. And it just, I think it helps my grief. Um, you just on your behalf to, to see and celebrate her memory and her legacy that you continue to speak to and, and honor. It's really beautiful. Mm, thank you so much. That means a lot to me to hear, Tricia. Thank you. Yeah. So, Sarah, I know you a bit from afar, and just to frame some stuff up about me, and I I sometimes get annoyed by labels and terminology and putting people in boxes and everything, but at least when I say these labels, people know what the hell I'm talking about. So, I've grown up evangelical, fundamentalist, and I have changed quite a lot. I'd say if you want to talk deconstruction, I'm about as fully deconstructed as you can be and still ascribing to faith in Jesus. And so I actually am taking the posture today to really tap into your knowledge and learn from you. You've been in this territory a long time and are even leading in it. And so I've got a lot of questions and things that I'm I'm processing. And Tricia, a former elder at Mars Hill and was there when things collapsed, um, hours and hours of discussion in itself, and we've had them. Hey, Joey, <laughs> and, hey, Joey, I, and, past and Trisha, elder's yeah. wife. I wasn't allowed elder's to wife, be elder. <laughs> fix it, Jesus. So yeah. true. <laughs> I'm so used to women elders at my church. That's so funny. Oh, forbidden. Gosh, you are an elder's wife. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so, Trisha, I would say that you probably feel the same way, like you're yeah. on a journey yeah, that Sarah's sure. a good bit further down and the road in. to use Sarah's word, I'm in the wilderness for sure. Um, the last five or six years since Mars Hill folded, it's just been, you know, wilderness and misfitting all over the place mm-hmm. in my deconstructing. So my husband, thankfully, is on a similar journey, which helps 
helps in our partnership. Um, you know, just having all the conversations and feeling all the things mm-hmm. about all of that. So. so Sarah, as I have, so I still rub shoulders with a lot of evangelicals. I, I work at an evangelical church, even though I would say probably half the leaders here wouldn't put themselves in that category. But a huge part of my tribe out of necessity has been people outside of my evangelical family who have, like you, have submerged themselves in progressive theology, seeing different ways of reading the Bible, et cetera. And as I have, you know, some some people I've gotten to know personally, and then a lot from afar and tweets, and I know that's not the best way of getting to know people, but I've kind of been disheartened because over the years, I've left the fundamentalist version of my own evangelical background. And as I've interacted, learned from, and watched other progressive Christians, I've found that some of the loudest voices have their own version of fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. So. I'll put it like this. I mean, Jesus says, forgive someone 70 times seven. And I've seen very respected and revered, important, progressive voices basically get canceled because of, uh, I mean, I don't know if y'all knew of the whole Michael Gunger situation Mm -hmm. that was going on. But basically, I mean, he was as humble as he could possibly be. He was apologizing. He was saying, I'm sorry for hurting people. And it just wasn't good enough. And I'm I, I'm assuming that a lot of these people that were just ready to throw them away were Christians. And so have you found, Sarah, a lot of progressives have left fundamentalist evangelical Christianity and over time created their own version of fundamentalism? Um yeah, that's a that's a good question. I didn't I don't know the situation you're talking about with uh, with Michael, yeah. but I think the larger story there is one that is quite common. I think a lot of times when you have a generation of people who have been discipled in a fundamentalist mindset, oftentimes even when you are, you know, maybe growing or shifting or changing in what you think is right, the posture is still the same. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can trade out one set of answers for another set of answers, but really the container is still one of certainty. Yeah. And um, and even I would say maybe maybe even describe it a bit of as like a purity culture test, right? Where there's like a right way to be and a and a wrong way to be, and now I'm righter than I've ever been. And I know right. that you know a lot of our work over at the community that I co-lead, um, evolving faith. A lot of what we have leaned into the last couple of years in particular is is this notion of, you know, just God save us from being another form of, you know, progressive fundamentalists. Like that's not that's not the point of, of the wilderness or the point of evolution, the point of deconstruction, um, you know, whatever label or, or name or, or title you would kind of right. want to put onto that process. It's really about being um, formed into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And I think being able to kind of set down and say, well, the point of this isn't, you know, here you have this nice tidy set of answers and certainties. And so let's trade it in for another new set of answers and certainties. But it actually is understanding the point isn't being right or the most right person in the room, but instead it is becoming someone who is more loving. 
becoming someone who is compassionate and merciful and kind. I think that's where we really see the beauty of, you know, what we would maybe, what was called, you know, the fruit of the spirit, right? That, that you're someone who enters into the, into the world and into conversations, into conflict, into uh, being called out, oftentimes can feel really disorienting, but oftentimes there's a, there's a challenge and an invitation, even in being called out. Um, be someone who is, you know, loving and joyful and patient and kind and, you know, faithful and gentle and even, so I hear, self-control, which is remarkable. <laughs> so, kind. you know, there's a, there's a number of ways that we can kind of uh, enter into that. I think the real temptation um, is to think it's about ideas and theology and less about how you are in the world. Trisha, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here like, Sarah, will you just be my pastor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I promise that wouldn't Gosh, work out. <laughs> so, so, Sarah. Well, it wouldn't work out at Mars Hill, no that's for way. sure. <laughs> so, Sarah, say for me, having been an evangelical, and I would say I'm recovering and trying to really filter through what the last 25 years I want to hold on to. And it's a mysterious journey. I don't want to, like you say, just you know, switch my set of doctrines or beliefs and certainties for, you know, the fundamentalism on one side for the fundamentalism on the other um, and still have the same heart posture or container, as you said. So on this side of things, um, be, you know, embracing mystery and everything, how, how do we not other the, our past self? How do we not other people that are still there? What, what kinds of things can we do that help combat that, that tendency to look at our past self and be, you know, filled with regret and sorrow and, and judge and, you know, just, just that shame feeling to other, the people that are still there. That is a really tender question, Trisha, very tender one. And I think that you're not alone or, or people aren't alone in feeling that. I, you know, oftentimes when we find ourselves kind of crossing that threshold into the wilderness, the instincts that we immediately have, I think, especially if you came of age in a faith tradition that really valued like a zero sum game, you know, like black and white, right or wrong, you know, that sort of thing. There's the, the temptation immediately out the gate is to say, um, well, now I'm just going to burn it all down. Like nothing's redeemable. Mm-hmm. Nothing's worthwhile. I need to walk away from all of it. Um, and I have been in that place. And I think that that's, that's okay. And that can be part of your journey as well. I think mm-hmm. that um, learning how to see it more as a process that's less linear and more mm-hmm. um, a path that you are walking with the spirit, which mm-hmm. is not a straight line, you know, because again, I think that that's sometimes some of the language that we use, uh, going back to what you were saying earlier, Joey, is like the, the um, labels have a have a purpose they can serve as a shorthand but they really don't tell the full story and oftentimes words like deconstruction you know are are words like that where you get this or even evolving faith right <laughs> which is something right. that we've yeah. we've grappled with of being like well right. does that mean we've like evolved past you know something right and i think that actually the the invitation is is that it's not linear but it is it is a bit of a wandering path and so oftentimes, even for a time, if we need to walk away from certain practices or postures or ways of understanding the world or ways of understanding ourselves, in order to get some perspective on them, there's permission and invitation and God meets you in that place. But then oftentimes, I have found that the Spirit will circle you back around. Mm-hmm. 
to some of those things or those people or those communities with new eyes to see them with everything you have learned, you know, in terms of compassion and empathy, mm-hmm. uh, forgiveness. And I think sometimes the, the place that we end up getting to, um, it's a temptation to characterize people, especially when they were the ones who provided you with your first container for God. Right. And learning how to bless that, even as you leave it behind, is oftentimes more of a practice than a moment in time, if that makes yeah. sense. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I hear you yeah. saying giving yourself permission um, to have perspective in the wandering, that is where everything's at. That's the good stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, something something that I've been working through right now is... And and it took me a while. Like I I really do feel like I uh, the the church that I go to it's 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 a special church. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't jive with it anymore. I mean, I'll I'll say on the outside it may look similar to all the other mega churches. On the inside, our lead pastor. No, I mean I told him I said Josh, I ascribe more to Rob Bell and Rachel Held Evans' way of looking at the Bible than I do our own church. And he's like, that's fine. <laughs> and, it's a gift. And I mean, in, oh. in these crazy uncertain times, I mean, we've given a million you know, million dollars to nonprofits and local schools. We, Our our founding pastor, I was talking to him and he said, We're, we prioritize community and love over doctrine. I know some of our leaders don't ascribe to inerrancy. We have women pastors um, we're we're trying to prioritize partnering with African Americans who are part of our church and in, in in the community. But even with all of that, I've still had to wrestle with being so different in in my framework. And I would say, as of recently, I feel like I don't know if it was I, I don't know if I heard Richard Rohr say this, and and you touched on it a little bit, Sarah, is just how some of your roots can be redeemed. And so when I am with my brothers and sisters who I love and what it used to do is it used to remind me of my background, the whole narrative of accept Jesus or, or burn in hell sort of thing. It's like, well, then how do I, how do I connect with God with these people that I've always seen connecting with God being a certain way and, and with a, and it's like I'm giving myself permission to say, I am here. I'm with my brothers and sisters. God has been with me through this whole journey, like my Pentecostal background and all of that. And now I can enter into worship in the same way, but with just a different framework. Like, I I truly believe this is where I'm at. I truly believe God's going to save everyone. My brothers and sisters on both sides probably don't really see that, but it's just kind of like a... I can still enter in to worship and fellowship in the same way that I did as a kid. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's it's definitely something that I've been almost coming to grips with and feeling good about. It. Is that mm-hmm. is that completely confusing both no. of you? <laughs> it makes me think of dualistic clarity that Richard Rohr talks about. You're able yes. to look at the differences and get some kind of love and the mystery and the clarity of the differences. Instead of feeling like you need to be against or for, you can see, you know, you can see how they they can exist together and God's still going to save us. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. I think that that's a place that 
you know, you hope to be able to get to of being able to identify and hold the tensions while mm-hmm. still holding people as precious and beloved and made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that complexity there um, can be hard for people to hold when we've often been told, well, you're either with us or you're against us. Right. You know, you're either in or you're out. And instead saying, you know, what would it look like to actually see this as a table that's wide enough and hospitable enough mm-hmm. for where everyone um, can feel like their stories are being held tenderly um, and all the things that formed you and shaped you into who you are. Like you were saying, I mean, you know, heaven help us. We're not supposed to be an identikit version you know, of each other. And so I think right. even the ways that we were formed and shaped, um, sometimes those kings can have, have negative connotations, but sometimes there are also gifts, even as there are shadows. Mm-hmm. And learning not to downplay either one, I think, is a really important part of this journey, because sometimes the tendency can be to say, well, it was all, you know, all wrong or all bad. Um, but then the other flip side is to, is to not acknowledge the very real, you know, uh, cost and, and, and uh, weight that things that are toxic or abusive or hurtful or incomplete, even about God, actually do to people. And I think that learning how to hold both of those things as true um, requires a lot of, of nuance, a lot of relationship, a lot of love, a lot of patience, um, because we need to have both in order to tell the full story. That's right. And and Sarah, what what is actually your background? Like did you go through a deconstruction period from from a more traditional upbringing? Yeah, I mean <sighs> So my parents were first generation Christians, um, grew up yeah. in Western Canada. You know, it wasn't my, we were, have been living in a post-Christian society for a long time. And so it wasn't like my grandparents were the last generation to go to church. It was like my great, great grandparents were the last generation yeah. who were in church really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, when we came to faith, we were young and I did that with my parents. And so in a lot of ways, our journey has been together as opposed to, you know, deeply shaped. They've been, you know, a wonderful part of this journey for me as well, which not a lot of people get to say about their parents when they're talking about deconstruction and things. But we came of age in really small, happy, clappy, charismatic, third wave kind of churches. But because we were so new to faith, we had no idea about the larger like landscape of Christianity and that there were even different types of Christians or we didn't know what right. a denomination was or who, what a hymn was or a lectionary. Like none of those things figured into our life at all. Mm. And the type of uh, faith tradition that we found ourselves in was definitely had roots in the Pentecostal movement. Uh, the third wave charismatic movement, but we found ourselves ultimately in that word of faith prosperity gospel. Um, kind of movement. And so that was where I kind of came of age initially. Um, And it wasn't until I was in my mid to late 20s that I really began to deconstruct that. Mm. Because like a lot of people who are in those movements, they work right up until they don't. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's when they and it's when they don't, when all the answers and the formulas and the, you know, overcomer victory thing that you've been sold about what life and God is going to be like uh, runs its course like it does for everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, and right. so that was really kind of my embarking point, I think, was really, yeah. really at that point. So, yeah, one of my I uh, thank you for sharing that one of my favorite episodes, probably my favorite that I've ever done. Well, except for the one I did with yeah. you, Trisha. But (laughs) (laughs) there was a guy at our church. He was mid twenties, 
my my wife and I just you know loved him dearly. He got in a motorcycle accident, and his parents had to drive six hours from Georgia, and basically over the course of the week, he he passed away. Mm-hmm. And so his his dad, who we have be- become friends with, his parents, his dad came on here, and basically exactly what you said, Sarah. They they were in the they were in the thick and thin of. You read the Bible a certain way, you believe a certain mm-hmm. way, and God answers a certain way, and their prayers were going to be answered. There was no way God was going to let their son die. If they believe in the name of Jesus, he will answer, yeah. and just they they live by that narrative, and it blew up. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, the talk that I had with him, I just love it so much because it's like real time, everything that I believed is is gone and i'm now trying to figure it out mm-hmm. i mean it's just uh that's that's so true it, it works until it doesn't yep. uh, yeah i want to read a, a tweet that that sarah put out it's, she says i want my passion to last longer than a viral hashtag i want my work to be sustainable over the long haul and i want to do more than stir up more anger i want that anger that energy that passion directed right towards peacemaking and shalom building and i almost get choked up reading that and i i just i feel like that is what is missing nowadays it's like within the church both both sides of the fundamentalism pole whatever it's like we have forgotten the bedrock of christianity which is loving our enemies Mm. and i'm 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 not saying that that's like the easiest thing in the world and i and i understand for example gay people who have been literally abused and traumatized by the church i know that's not a simple thing but it just feels like more and more people are not even trying to make an attempt it's like you're on the other side don't like like john mark mcmillan said in the last episode that that we we put out he said i can be an asshole because i picked the right team Mm. but you don't get to be an asshole because you're on the wrong Mm. team and i'm like gosh i don't i'm pessimistic it just doesn't seem like it's going to get better (laughs) is that awful to say no i said go ahead trisha oh i was saying just the other day to my teens we're we're doing a lot of apologizing these days to their childhood or about their childhood in the ways that we oh, we wow. um, influence them to to be judgmental, basically, um, and so we're having all of these great conversations with our teens. And I did say just the other day, I think it's going to get way worse before it gets better. And my 15 year old said, "Well, that's very pessimistic." <laughs> but I, you can see the pattern in history; um, it, it is there. So, how can we hold both the possibility of it getting far worse? and more divisive and more hateful um, and on to the hope that we actually still believe Jesus is powerful and good and can bring peace across the big canyon of, of hate and rage and judgment. So yeah, it seems like it is getting worse. Mm-hmm. Fix it for us, Sarah. <laughs> Fix it. If I had a nickel for every American who asked me that. <laughs> Great. I'm just teasing. You know, it's, I don't, I think that that's a very common feeling and something that really has given me a lot of, um, a lot of hope, I think, in the midst of all of the disruption 
is uh, going back to our roots, you know, maybe this is my latent Pentecostal that still I have regained and reimagined and gathered all of that to myself. I feel like it is genuinely an apocalypse. Hmm. And I, and I mean that in the truest sense of like the actual Greek word, which means an unveiling Mm -hmm. that there's a re there's a revealing that is being, that is happening right now. And so that can be disruptive and disorienting. You feel like all these institutions and things you had your trust in or people you had your trust in, the pedestals are crumbling, the, we're peeking behind the curtain, we're seeing that the roots of the tree are actually rotten and that the tree is bearing bad fruit. And I think that that sense of apocalypse, these, these times feel apocalyptic because they are. And so rather than pretending that they're not, I'm, I'm reminded of um, Phyllis Tickle, who wrote a book called The Great Emergence. And she talked about how every 500 years, the church as a whole undergoes a massive shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see it happen at the Great Schism and then again at the Reformation. And right yeah. now we are at that 500-year mar- mark right now in these days wow. of seeing Jeepers. the sifting and the shifting of what was before still remains. It is still there in some form, but a new form of church is born. And I get a lot of hope from the remnant of disciples that I still see in the church who are dismantling white supremacy and decolonizing their faith and asking good questions and leaning into the center of God's story, which has always been the margins, and are you know loving one another and finding the gospel. It can feel like a small group. And sometimes seeing it that way of saying, you know, it's almost like what Paul talked about, how something new is struggling to be born. And maybe we are feeling the labor pains of that, the groanings of that, mm. because there is, we are in this time of, of emergence. Something new is being born. We don't know really what's waiting on the other side of it, but that gives me hope. It gives me hope the more I talk to people like you guys or, you know, other people that I my path gets to cross with to see that there are people who still believe that the story of Jesus, Rachel used to always say, the story of Jesus is the one I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong about. Mm. I'm willing to take my risk on this story because it is so compelling and beautiful and inclusive and welcoming and filled with more love than we could ever imagine. And I'm, I'm willing for this to be something that at the end I'm wrong about, but I'm going to stake my life here. That's beautiful. So Sarah, how do you protect that hope in just within yourself? Um, I don't know. You know, I think one thing that has been... She names it and claims it, Trisha. <laughs> and you're listening? You're I not mean... wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you so know, there's bad. a lot of things. I see hope as something that is a practice more than like a gift that some people get and some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um. And something else that I find really helpful is is the idea of borrowing hope. Um, I find that that's been helpful for me in the wilderness, particularly. I mean, you know, I've been in kind of this space for, you know, 10 or 15 years now. And I find that there's still moments where I, I'm borrowing hope from people or I'm borrowing their love or when I can't pray, they can pray. And when maybe I'm, I'm filled with doubt or wonder or worry that I can turn towards, there's a real communal aspect, I think, of needing to find one another, lean on one another um, and understand that I don't have to have it all figured out all the time, that I don't get a gold star for never doubting. Or never, or yeah. for feeling hopeless yeah. or afraid. But instead, all of that, even those things that we've been taught to see as negative, are things that are actually held in the love of God as well. 
Yeah. So when the when the dust settles and and we when we look back on 2000, you know, as a as a 500 year mark and how things have changed. I mean, what do y'all think? How do we describe that? I mean, we know how to describe the Reformation, for instance. Do you think that? Do you think that it will be more of a yeah? That is when a lot of people started to believe that everybody goes to heaven, or that's when we started letting go of inerrancy and reading the Bible more as a story. And 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 it is crazy because I would say. Like I look at you, Sarah, and and uh, Rachel Held Evans. I mean, y'all, y'all were talking about this stuff before it was even messed with at all by evangelicals, and now here we are in 2020, and it's like you can't ignore you guys. I mean, the you know, and and people who are open minded enough, which which is the culture that I run in with at, at my evangelical church. I mean, it's like we're paying attention, like we're. We're recognizing, okay, we we don't have our stuff together. There's more to learn and all that. But like, what do y'all think that this change will be known as? I mean, you know, speculation here, imagination. But when we look back on this, what what do we say the change was? That's a good question. Um, you're right, though. I mean, things have have moved, and I think sometimes when we acknowledge how far we maybe we still feel that we have to go. Um, sometimes it's also beneficial to look back and say, gosh, look how far we've come, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and even there it's, um, it's a gift sometimes to recognize and acknowledge even ourselves, right. In our own journey, how far we've come, um, and to have compassion and empathy and grace for that. I mean, for heaven's sake, I remember back in like 2012, when I wrote Jesus feminist, how it was like the shockwave through all of evangelical <laughs> thing of like, can you be a feminist and also love Jesus? And it was like, what? That's crazy. And now it just feels I, like almost like an adorable. Sarah, I got into some great arguments at the, the last day of Mars Hill when I had your book on my coffee table. It was, it was very, um, <laughs> there was, now, there I, were some challenges. Want- you're welcome. And you're, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So I want our I want our listeners to camp out on this for a second. In 2012, eight years ago, Sarah, you just said it was a legit question. Can you be a feminist and love Jesus? Like, is that where we were just eight years ago? It sure felt like it. It sure felt like it. I remember like just the shockwaves of people just having a real like clutching their pearls about it, right? And just kind of having this moment of being like, is this even a thing that you can have or you can do? Wow. And now that conversation seems adorable because there's been so much. And I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I started that conversation. I was standing on the shoulders of like many, many, many other uh, women and men and and non-binary people who have done the work. And so I was definitely just like a moment in time. But at the same time, there's this idea of... um, I don't know. Just, I, I do feel like there's possibilities still. I feel like we're having conversations we maybe we didn't before. And so I'm hopeful yeah. about what's coming. I do believe that something new is being born. I just think it's going to look really different um, than what we've yeah. had in the past. Um, more collaborative, more connected, hopeful, inclusive. I'm hopeful mm-hmm. about those things. Yeah. yeah. And the thing too, that I find yeah, really exciting about it is, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but. No, no, no. The thing that I find really exciting about it is I, I genuinely feel like we are being called to co-create with God. You know, that, like that the transformation is happening 
at the intersection of our choices and our participation and the invitation of the Holy Spirit to those places. So as opposed to being like imposed or happening or us just being passive, that we're actually invited into the shalom of God and invited into participating in, in that, into, you know, moving the needle a little bit further for someone or for something. And so, yeah, I think that there's even there, I think rather than just kind of having this sense of like, you know, throwing your hands up in the air and being like, well, it's not already done. So why bother? There's more this sense of we're invited to participate in that. We get to, we get to, to play. We get to be, be a part of it. And I think that there's something, no matter how small it may look to outside eyes, um, I just think that there's something really beautiful there. Good work for all of us to do, no matter where we are. Yeah. yeah. That's Can awesome. you give us a awesome. glimpse of, of what that vision might look like? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, th- I see it even, um, you know, for instance, one of the things that, um, that I get to do over at Evolving Faith in the community that we have over there, you know, we have a conference and a podcast and a, you know, community groups and things like that. But the thing that I really love about it is that it's never felt like, you know, Sarah Bessie Ministries. Yeah. Right. Or like Jeff yeah. Chu Ministries or Rachel Held Evans Legacy Project. You know, mm. it has very much felt collaborative. It has felt like a big table that it's more like a potluck than like a cafeteria right? Where everybody's bringing something and making room for each other. There's a spirit of hospitality there. Um, I like that I don't have to be in the room and nobody's looking for me to be on a pedestal, that I get to be alongside of people, (laughs) right? That's good. It's better even for my soul, right? It's Mm -hmm. even better for my soul that that's the case. And so... So you're saying you don't have a celebrity pastor? <laughs> well, the the day is the day is young. Uh. <laughs> hey, I I uh, I have a couple more things, and and Trisha, feel free to 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 get some last things into as we as we wrap this up. But one thing that I I wanted to kind of run by both of you is. When I when my first daughter was born in 2006, I had not even changed in my faith one bit, and so everything just seemed so simple. Pass on to Rosa every single thing that I've been taught. I know what how to read the Bible. I know what this means. I know what that means. I know what that mystery is. I, I, there ain't no mystery. I've got it figured out. I've got my systematic theology, and even though I probably represent. Point zero five of Christianity who believes exactly how I believe, I'm right. So all I need to do is pass this on to my kids. And then over time, I mean, especially when I was entering in deconstruction, it was just like, I don't know what to do with my kids because I don't want to screw them up. But I, I don't even have my footing. So, Sarah, I would imagine you've probably talked to parents who are deconstructing during formative years of their children, and they're like, I don't know. Like, I, I legit would say that there was a, a, a solid stint where I did not feel equipped to lead my kids spiritually. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a very real thing, and that's something that I hear a lot um, and have felt myself. I think that, um, you know, every every kid and every parent and every every place is so particular and different yeah. that that's why I think that you know 
I don't know, most marriage and parenting books aren't super helpful. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I know that, you know, for, for our kids and, and Trisha, maybe you could speak to this a little bit too, because you're a little bit further up the path than, than me as well. Um, there's a few things that I have found really helpful about um, parenting kids in a new paradigm that doesn't embrace certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those things, um, you know, like, you know, attachment, being very attached to your kids, um, drawing them near, keeping them close, but even other things like, gosh, you know, don't give your kids your spiritual baggage, let them get their own. has been helpful for me I'm just saying you know like just because I have a lot of spiritual baggage around this particular thing they actually don't and and then they're still building and they need to have room to be able to do that and so in a lot of ways even when we are having conversations with our kids or we're leaning into to some of these discussions um, we really do try to let them lead and we one, I remember one person who had raised kids that I just loved and, and loved their family. And I remember her telling me one time, very plainly, she was just like, um, only answer the questions that they're asking. And so, you know, for instance, my son, when he went into middle school, got very into astrophysics, you know, as 11 year olds do. <laughs> and so, Your son's a nerd. That's awesome. He is. We love him so much. We are all <laughs> geeks in some, some way, shape, or form in our house. But so good. there's this sense of um, then he was asking questions about creation and asking questions about Genesis and these yeah. Bible stories and asking questions about the origins of time and the universe and space and how these things all can, can you know, kind of converge. And so then we got to have some really wonderful conversations as you know, in, from a posture of curiosity together Mm. and learning together while also being able to talk to him about, you know, I, I love these stories and also I love science and I, you know, this is how things were created and, and, you know, here's how we can kind of, you know, marry or walk these things out together and equipping some of those things. I mean, physics are definitely above my pay grade, but it has not been one single conversation as much as it has been an ongoing um, never ending conversation of posture of, of humility and curiosity. Um, I think of unconditional love. And the only other thing I think before I, I mean, I know Trisha probably has a lot to share here, but no. the other thing that I found really helpful <laughs> is, um, is remembering that oftentimes it's more caught than taught. Yeah. And so if it's less That's about, good to hear you know, getting everything right. And as more as much as it is modeling that mm-hmm. and, and in bringing them along in that and not seeing it as a one and done conversation. But I mean, our kids are often, they're behind the curtain, man. Like they see the things about us that maybe the rest of polite society doesn't get to see, right, right. you know, the moments when you're low, the moments when you don't have the answers, you know, there's ways to navigate, you know, how you read scripture and what you teach and what you don't and a lot of good guides for that sort of thing. But if I want to raise kids who are loving, I have to be loving. If I want to raise kids who I want to forgive their enemies, I guess what I get to do. If I say I value community, then we have to model that, you know, for our children. If we say we model being able to say you're wrong and ask for forgiveness, then mm. guess what? Right. And so I think that there's often an invitation there to say, you know, rather than saying we value justice, embody that, bring them along, you know, don't separate and compartmentalize your deconstruction or your faith, but explore those things together. Obviously, age appropriate ways. The ways I do this, 
with yeah. my high schooler are very different than the ways that this yeah. I mean, happened with a <laughs> kindergartner. Um, and there's a room for that nuance, I think. But anyway, that's just off the top of my head. Trisha, yes, what did you think? That's so good. I agree with everything you said. I would also add that um, I have found it to be very helpful for our relationship and it scratches the itch that I still have to want to influence and direct and guide my children, even though they're teens and they really don't want my influence much anymore, explicit influence anyway, um, to, for, for Mike and I to really wrestle in front of them and ask a lot of the questions that we're asking in ways that they see. They see our frustration um, to try to get to the bottom of something or try to, you know, just really think it through and, and talk about it. They see it and then they participate and then they, you know, then they take a turn and they wrestle and they ask questions. And so they've really become friends actually, you know, all four of them. Um, and they're asking a lot of the questions, you know, it through film and through things that they read, um, you know, looking back on, our culture that we had been part of and asking some of those questions about what are some things to hold on to? What things do you, can we let go with, with a kindness and a grace about it? Um, and so we've just become more vulnerable as they've gotten older and they've seen our grief and our regrets. And we've apologized to them specifically about many things that we have done to, to shape their worldview that we feel sad about. But we also aren't doing that every day. They, I think they see a pretty good balance of curiosity and process and hope. Um, so that's, that is my hope and prayer is that they, you know, they become real humans with real adult questions and processes. Um, and then we can all continue to have those conversations together as they get older. So, yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. That's a really good point, Trisha. Thank you for sharing that. I think yeah. that, um, you know, one thing that I find really exciting about being able to raise our kids when we are in the wilderness or when we are in the process of figuring out what we really believe and know and even hope for about God is that you have a chance to give them such a different story. And there's possibilities for that. So for instance, you know, like when my older two kids read Jesus Feminist for the first time, they literally could not understand why there was a need for this book. <laughs> they were just like, what do you mean? There are people oh, who think good. that women shouldn't preach. You literally preach once a month, every month. Like what is going on right now? Right. And so for them, like it just, wow. it, it wasn't necessary anymore. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think even there of just saying right. like, so you because they don't have the same baggage. Of, of, right. They will have different baggage from me. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. I just, you know, that's just going to be, that's just part and parcel of parenting, I think. But at the end of the day, also you're giving them gifts to say you, their starting point is going to be different than yours. And you hope that it's a place that is filled with more love and hope and joy and possibility and welcome. Um, and then they, they start from there. Right. And then that's mm-hmm. even more exciting because gosh, they're just in a lot of ways further ahead than we ever could imagine have been. Cause we're still unpacking and undoing shame and guilt and all those other things. And we gave them that gift and that's beautiful, Trisha, that you guys did that. And I think that really connects what you were saying about being co-creators with God, actually seeing our kids grow up with a different um, grasp of the world and God without the same religious baggage that we have. Um, They are helping us, you know, paint that picture of that vision, I think. Um, And that I, I think that's beautiful because I think that through the heart of motherhood, I'm able to have true hope because I want a different reality for my children. Uh, so anyway, just to just to blend what you were saying with co-creation, which I think is so beautiful and so good through, with parenting. Yeah, you know my 
my daughter actually, the, my oldest daughter actually told me, I don't know, a year or two ago, she said, Dad, you didn't used to, you didn't used to believe that, uh, that everybody's going to go to heaven. Like, she remembers when I taught her about hell, and that's where people who, I mean, she remembers that. And, and yeah. so she has seen her dad's faith just change. And so it, it, there is a lot of freedom, Sarah, with what you're talking about. Just And I think kind of the general vibe of people like us is not needing the certainty anymore. And so I love answering my kids, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that God's got this thing under control. I'm pretty sure God loves all of us and we're all in good hands, like every single person on the face of this earth. But I don't have answers to all these questions, but yeah, I, it has been it has been quite a journey. The last thing I want to ask you, Sarah, and thank you so much for your time. This has been a gift mm-hmm. for sure, and that is I. So the 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 context of where I'm at, you know, I'm rubbing shoulders with a lot of evangelicals and a lot of evangelicals who are deconstructing. I mean, I would say that's the that's the majority of our listeners are people who are rethinking things, and and we're kind of on a journey together. In your context, do you see people that are finding freedom in God slash Jesus for the first time through a more progressive uh, entryway? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the thing that is most exciting to me Mm. um, is seeing people, I mean, here's some evangelical language for us, being born again all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and I remember very clearly having experience like this. I was I was in Denver. I just finished speaking at a conference. It was actually the first time I met Nadia uh, Boltzweber, who some of your listeners might know from her books and her podcast and everything. And her and I were both speaking at this conference, and we were laughing about it because you know we the idea of the conference was that you're supposed to be you know forecasting for the 21 things or, or, or things that you think the church needs in the 21st century. And her answer was, people need to go to church. And mine was, you need to follow Jesus. And we were there as like supposedly the most progressive people, like on the on the docket, right? And we were kind of laughing a bit in the car on the way to the airport because we were like, this is kind of funny that like that's our answer. And, and this is yeah. kind of where we end up. And so we end up kind of talking about how we had landed, where we had landed and, and, um, and the places where we were at. And, you know, we ended up just crying in the car because we said, it just feels like you got born again, all over again. And mm-hmm. there is, that was when Nadia kind of introduced me to this, um, a philosopher named Rakora who talks about that, who talks about how, like, you have your first naivete which is how you first came to faith and knew God. And then you enter this season called critical distance. And that's where a lot of us kind of begin to deconstruct or you feel like you're in the wilderness or wait a minute, the if this, then that formulas that I've been given for faith simply aren't holding up or that the ways that I, I see now that it is actually something toxic or, or wrong or bad fruit to these trees that I've been planting. And, you know, yeah. that season can be a really, you feel like you're in, in a desert, but she was saying on the other side of that, if you know some people can press through that or lean into it instead of resisting it, you find yourself in what he called a second naivete. Mm. And that is that you, you actually have your eyes open. You can see clearly. You can see where you were and where you're going. And there's forgiveness and grace and compassion and empathy. And you're able to hold all that complexity and the love of God while still saying, I have hope. I, I see that the love of God is is the the greatest reality that's holding all of this, and you feel like you got born again. 
Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. So good. Trisha, do you have anything? I'm else? good. Um, Sarah, I, if I got my stuff correct, our listeners have access online to y'all's evolving faith stuff. Yeah, yeah, they do actually. It's coming up right away, I think, from when this is coming out. So it's October 2nd and 3rd. Um, if you just go to evolvingfaith.com, you'll find all the info about the conference coming up. And uh, we would love to welcome all of your guys' community to be able to come to this. I think it would be a really good um, table in the wilderness for them. Awesome. We'll have all that in the show notes, and we'll have uh, Sarah Bessie's website and socials and all of that. Thank you so much, Sarah. We really do appreciate it. It's been a been a blast. And uh, like I said, it's uh, for sure been a gift to me personally. So thank you. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to spend some time with you both. Thanks, Sarah. I'm the pastor's son, William. People call me Big Santa. Do you have a question, comment, feedback, or hate mail about anything you just heard? Check the show notes for our phone number. Leave a message, but don't be long and boring as Helen's house. Tell us your name and number. Origin. Origin. Let us know if we can play it on the podcast and talk about you for millions to hear and maybe sni- maybe snicker at.